So uh, we're here with uh, Daryl Griffiths. Um, my name's Tony Tucknot uh, from the Dwelling Up 100. Daryl Griffiths from Coda Sports Nutrition. Daz, it's great to have you here. Um, formerly, some people might have known it as uh, Shots. You guys have been fantastic supporters of our Dwelling Up 100 since its inception in 2009. And uh, now this year, 2021, this is going to be event number 13. So, well, hopefully it's going to be the Australian National Mountain Bike Championships for the marathon. Uh, but I think that's still going to be a little bit dependent on our, how COVID plays out. But uh, look, we're really fortunate to be able to catch up with you now here in WA. And you've been over here with your family from Hobart and uh, travelling around to get some of this northwest sunshine. But uh, and hopefully you've enjoyed that and you're heading back tomorrow. But, mate, firstly, why the name change? Why change from Shots to Coda? And has the product itself changed? Uh, firstly, yeah, Shots, um, it was for... Well, it started off Carbo Shots in the early days when we were in Western Australia there, um, the very... Uh, um, early beginnings of the business. Um, and then we changed it to shots. And then uh, about 18 months ago, a couple of mates came on board and said, look, we're really keen to get this product into the US. It's doing so well here in Asia. I think US is a good market. So um, I said, well, we can do that, but we can't um, sell the product under the name, brand name shots in the US because it's trademarked there. And I said, if you can come up with a good name and um, you know, we can we can do a brand name change and uh, and hit the US, which uh, was the plan. And then COVID hit, so we had to put the skids on that. But um, we were already a long way into the the brand rename, so we we went ahead with that. Um, so now it's uh, Coda K O D A. Yeah, but the product itself did the did the formula itself change in the product? No, no, nothing changed. Um, everything was exactly the same. The formulations are the same. The contract manufacturers are the same. Um, so you know, the only difference was the, was the name of the product, which we, we did a lot of research um, asking people that have been using the product for a long time. And their feedback really was as long as it stays the same because we love the product. Um, you know, we're not... We're not um, fixed to the name it can be any name but as long as you don't change the formulation uh, which we yeah. were never going to so well uh, yeah it's exactly the same no that's excellent mate and I, look my personal take is that the the coda naming aligns so well with kona uh, you know for the world championships of, of ironman i think it just aligns beautifully but look as, as you well know like the dwelling up 100 you know when we started it we wanted it to be an event for everyone and now like you know, it's not just a mountain bike event for everyone. Like there's four mountain bike events, a 15, a 35, a 60 and a 100K. But there's also the Mighty Jarrah Trail Run with it, you know, which was Dave Budge's idea to, to bring that one in. And that's got three distances as well. So, you know, people come down to Dwelling Up and, you know, some of the family will now do the mountain bike and some of them will do the run. And there's all the three different distances in the run, like the six, the 12, or the 21K. And the 21K is pretty serious. There's some, there's some big hills in there. Some of the people, like we've even got the dwelling up double, where you can actually do the mountain bike ride. Well, certainly the 15, the 35, or the 60. 
And then some people can then actually, or have elected to do the run as well. So they can do the bike and the run and get a double bang for their buck. But in saying that, um, from a nutrition point of view, like what sort of time of an event or what sort of distance of an event before people really start to need thinking about or thinking about what sort of nutrition or anything to do with nutrition? Yeah, um, well, mate, it's, uh, it, it's really dependent on the individual. Um, you know, we, we've got the Olympics at the moment and I don't know if anyone's been watching the uh, women's volleyball, uh, the uh, beach volleyball, but the Australian girls have been using the coat of gels all the way through each of their um, each of their matches, and that's not really considered a uh, an endurance sport, but it's because it's over successive days. They need to make sure that they're not carrying deficiencies into next into into the next games, um, and it's also because that's uh, such a skillful sport, and you, you you're having to process so, so much information, watching that ball and where to place it, that they need to make sure their brain's functioning well as well. So there's no, there's no real distance or, or a set time that you need to be start to, to take these sorts of products. But obviously, the longer the event, the more important it becomes. Um, so it's really, the thing is, it's also um, understanding everyone has a different physiological makeup as well. So you might have everyone do the 60 kilometer mountain bike event as, as a, an example, you know, some athletes might get through that with, you know, one or two gels, some athletes might need three or four. Um, you know, that comes down to um, your storage capacity for glycogen. It comes down to how fast you're actually riding, whether you, you know, you're, you're on the rivet the whole time or whether you're just cruising through, just wanting to finish and enjoy it. Um, well, I'm not saying you're not going to enjoy it racing it, but um, not as um, aggressively. Um, so it's really just having an understanding that we're all very individual and we're all very unique. And copying what someone else does doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Um, you need to sort of find out through your training and through races like this, that um, you might need a couple of extra gels more than someone else, or you might need a couple of less gels than someone else. It, there's really, there's no hard and fast rules to nutrition. It's very, very individual. Yeah, okay. So look, that being the case um, and going into this event, so, you know, realistically, this will be the biggest event a lot of people do in NWA for the, for the whole year. So when do you think, people need to start thinking about nutrition? Is it when they've lined up on the start line or, you know, months beforehand? Yeah, or well, if, if they're doing, particularly if you're doing the 100K, um, you, you want to make sure that you're doing some significantly long rides in your training. And that's a perfect opportunity then to um, practice nutrition. Um, and it's not just um, the actual cons consumption of the product, it's the logistics of, how you carry it, um, what opportunities you actually take, you, you, the opportunity you get to take it because mountain biking logistically is not an easy sport to drink or eat, uh, particularly if there's a lot of single trail and you're concentrating the whole time and you don't want to take your hands off the bars. So it's knowing the course and knowing areas that 
right, there's an open fire trail and it's pretty straight. I'm going to make sure I'm drinking and eating in that section there. Um, because if you don't, um, it's, it's likely that at some point, particularly in an event that long, that you're going to be finding it very difficult to, um, to get to the finish line and hold the intensity that you'd like to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand. So with that being the case, we've sort of set the course up so that people have an opportunity to, to refuel. So like the 60 and 100K riders have an opportunity to, to refuel. We're going to have a, a station set up at the 30K mark. Then when they come back into the football oval, there's, they can actually leave all of their own nutrition at the 46-kilometre mark after that first loop. So they come back through so they can refuel on whatever they want there as well as the stuff that we'll have there for them. Then they head back out of town and the 100K riders in particular then have an opportunity to refuel at Turner Hill. So when you come in and out of Turner Hill, that 64 or 75Ks, but, you know, you might have someone there to hand you a bottle, for example. So we're not going to have anything set up there, but we're going to have an aid station set up at the 80K mark. Um, which is at the entrance to the block. So, you know, people can sort of plan, and we've got that information out there. People can plan around how all of that works. So let's let's concentrate on those longer events, right? The 60, the 100, or the 21K trial run. Now, you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but typically it was always said that you would typically work on, say, one gram of carbohydrate per one kilo of body weight Per hour of competition is that is that still like a loose guide is that still the case or not no it, it's it was always now now when you're marketing or selling something it's much easier to sell it if it's a one size fits all and that's all that is it's a one size fits all now if you take into a consideration um, a 70 kilogram athlete so you've got two 70 kilogram athletes and and based on the calculation or the um methodology you just mentioned then so one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour so one gram of carbohydrate is four calories so you you times that by your weight which is let's say it's 70 kilos so that's 280 calories an hour now that's probably um, an amount that the faster faster guys and girls at the front of the event would be taking close to that um but if there's a 70 kilogram athlete that is um you know an hour an hour and a half or two hours behind um the faster athletes then their calorie intake's not going to be near as aggressive so you've got to take into account how fast you're going not how much you weigh so right. it's more, yeah it's more um it <laughs> Because what will happen there, if everyone has that same thinking that, oh, okay, I weigh this much, I need to have this many calories, but you're not riding at an intensity what that, that, that other 70 kilogram athletes are, then you're going to be taking too much. You're going to compromise the stomach. Right, right. So look, that's really interesting. So that really goes back to what you were saying about practicing this sort of stuff in your training yeah, as well, so, adapting to it. Yeah, exactly. So if someone if someone comes to me and says, look, Daz, I... I'm doing the 100K and, you know, I want a rough guide. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested in doing it, far, you know, it, it, as fast as I can and I'm fit and I've trained well for it. My advice to them is, well, firstly, 
if we have an understanding of what your calorie expenditure is each each hour and for mountain biking it's it's such a, a tough sport in that um it's not just all the energy that you're using um, from pushing the cranks around it's the energy you're using to focus and and uh all the information you need to process when you on single trail going downhill and all that sort of stuff too so there's a lot lots of um energy expenditure that you don't really think about um and the brain utilizes huge amounts of energy when you're having to focus a lot more um, than what you would if you were on a road bike, just cruising along the road, not really needing to think too much about what you're doing, not having to worry about obstacles or jumps or corners or tree roots or rocks or anything like that. So when you bring that element into it, your energy expenditure becomes much higher because the brain is working so much harder to process the information to make the decisions whether I break or whether I speed up or whether I, you know, go left, go right, miss that route over that rock. So all these things, um, it's just energy that, um, that you need to be mindful only lasts a certain amount of time because we only have internal stalls that will last a certain period of time based on how fast we go and how much energy our brain is utilizing to process all that information. So just thinking about that while you're saying it, and you know, you talk about that how much energy the, the brain consumes to do that. You've only really got to look at how fit a Formula One driver or a MotoGP rider needs to be. Now, MotoGP, they've got to manhandle those bikes, but certainly Formula One, you know, the, the only thing those guys are moving is their feet and their arms, yet their heart rates through the roof and their, their fitness levels are supreme athletes you know to be in that car and concentrate for that long so that kind of backs up what you're saying as far as that fitness level and keeping being fueled to concentrate for that long so that that's really interesting because no one else has really mentioned that about the mental energy required so that being the case from a coder point of view uh the gels better or are the bars better um I'll, I'll, I'll just reiterate on that. And if we use trail running as an example, um, for your 21 trail of 21 kilometer trail runners, you do a 21k on the road, where it's you know it, it's a fairly um, it, it could even be a hilly road a road run, but you compare that to a 21 kilometer trail run where there's obstacles you need to be mindful of. At the end of that 21k run on the road, as compared to the 21k run on the on the trail, you always feel a lot. You, you feel the 21k uh, trail run way more than you do the 21k road run, simply because you've you've utilised a lot more energy to have to process information that um, yeah right that yep. you need to when you're trail running. So yeah, um, so it's 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 having that understanding. Um, that there's other factors as well you need to be mindful of. And if the brain's not functioning properly, you're going to be more likely to make mistakes. Yeah. And when you make mistakes on a mountain bike, um, it's, you know, it can be, be pretty damaging. Absolutely. So, um, so go back to what we were saying then from as far as your point of view goes, what will determine whether people have gels or whether they have bars? Yeah. So, the simple answer is they're both calories. 
And the thing is, there's no right or wrong. It comes down to personal preference. Um, when you talk about gels, there's characteristics that you need to understand. Firstly, if you're mountain biking, you need to get that energy in really quickly because you might not have a lot of opportunity um, to chew on a bar or whatever it might be. So gels, firstly, have a very good energy to volume ratio. And what that means is there's a large amount of energy or a large amount of fuel in a small volume. So firstly, that's great because you're getting a, a large amount of calories, but it's not putting a lot of um, pressure on the stomach because it's only in a small volume. The second thing is the thermic effect. And what that means is um, when you're consuming calories, you don't want it drawing energy away. You want all that energy focused on the active muscles that are pushing the cranks or you know, running through the trails. So thermic effect means um, with a gel, it has a very low thermic effect and it requires a very small amount of energy to enter the bloodstream and be utilized as a fuel that the muscles can access. And thirdly is the um, uh, low sensory impact. And what that means is um, consuming it and not being worried about having to chew or all those sorts of things. So um, I think for mountain biking and for trail running, gels are by, by far the best fuel for those reasons, those characteristics. But then sometimes, particularly for 100Ks, you may not want to take gels for that whole time. So you might introduce some solid food options like the bars. Um, and that's not, there's no reasoning for that other than it's a personal preference. Um, there's some athletes who will do a 24 hour mountain bike race and, and exclusively take gels and any solid foods they just can't tolerate for whatever reason. That's their, their unique digestive system. Then there's other athletes who might take gels for a few hours and go to a solid food, then back to gels. But that's unique to them and that's what works for them. So to, to answer your question, there's no right or wrong. It's, it's firstly um, for that 100K mountain bike ride, you would probably aim for around about a sort of 150 to 200 calories an hour. Um, and similar for the um, 21, uh, 21 kilometer trial run, particularly if there's a lot of hills in there, if you're having to do a lot of climbing, because um, obviously your energy expenditure is going to be a lot more if there's a lot of climbing. And um, conversely, if there's a lot of downhill stuff where you're having to really um, push and um, utilize the, the muscles to try and hold you up um, and, and try and slow you down from, from the, the steep uh, descents. Yeah, well, the 21K run has both of them. They have sort of some, some big climbs like Big Bertha. We used to go up that on the mountain bike, but now we come down the downhill, Big Bertha downhill right beside it. But the runners go up that and the runners also go down a really cool mountain bike downhill uh, called Pino Clean. And yeah, there's a bit of a scramble going down that, especially if it's slippery like it was last year. There was a few people sliding down it, but that, that's, that's really cool. Like the code of bars though, um, just going back to what you're saying, I personally find that they are, they are really easy to eat as far as eating something goes. And the way they're broken into two sections within the packaging is just awesome because you literally go, the one section is, oh, it's the perfect amount to eat at one time. They're easy to get out, they're easy to consume. But when you go like, so the gels and the bars, and I think you've pretty much answered this, 
But, you know, a lot of guys will be going, ah, oh, no, I'll just take my own foot. How, how do you compare, like, a gel or a bar to, you know, something like a, a peanut butter and jam sandwich or just taking a muesli bar with you as an example? Yeah. So, well, with the, with the bars, um, because there's so many dietary requirements now, um, it was actually a bit of a challenge <clears throat> because you've got dairy-free, you've got gluten-free, you've got vegan You've got um, all, all these different requirements that sort of people um, are after to, um, for whatever reason, whether it's, um, you know, their digestive system or whatever it might be. So firstly, developing a bar that sort of covers all those sorts of things, um, vegan and, and gluten-free and dairy-free and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> but it's sorry, man. I'm going to take a drink. Sorry about that. Um, it, it's really just that um, understanding that when you're consuming um, nutrition during activity, there's a lot of reasons why you use sports nutrition because they've been designed for that very reason. Um, you know, and if if peanut butter or honey sandwiches worked, then there wouldn't be a sports nutrition um, industry. And, you know, I'm not saying that you should never do that, but it might be something that you have just to break things up, but you're not going to, you're not going to rely on that for the whole time. Um, so with the, with the gels, particularly the coated gels, the, the maltodextrin that we use is a premium maltodextrin. There's about 150 different grades of maltodextrin. And um, what, what distinguishes us with others is that we don't have fructose in ours. And you'll hear a lot of research and marketing hype about, oh, you need glucose and fructose together because it transports better. It's absolutely not the case. Um, we found that this fructose that's heavily marketed, it's just, it's just refined crystalline form sugar. And it's a, it's a lower grade maltodextrin and it's cheap and we could probably use it and save ourselves a lot of money. But at the end of the day, it's about um, having a product that is going to be gentle on the stomach and it's not going to um, hopefully have a, have a low sensory impact that doesn't upset your stomach and you can continue riding or running and get the energy that you need, but not the upset stomach and that sort of thing, which is sometimes common with foods that people think, oh, that, that'll go all right. But then they get to the, the actual event and logistically taking that is like, well, gee, that didn't work. So yeah, there's, there's a reason why we develop the products we do and the way we do them for the characteristics that make it a lot easier to get the calories in that you need yeah, yeah. Yep. to get to the finish line. Really interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of things that you've said over those last few things that you know, as like a punter, you, you wouldn't think about the level of, uh, I guess, science that goes into it and trying to please everyone as well. But there's also like a balance between carbohydrate intake and, and fluid intake. So particularly when it's, it's warmer weather, right? And in the warmer weather, we're going to lose a lot more body salt. So how do you work out how much to drink or, or more importantly, like, like what to drink? Yeah, well, that's why we... We don't have all our calories in our drinks together. We separate the two. So calories or nutrition is separate. 
and your hydration is separate because firstly, our hydration needs are very different and everyone has ridden with someone or run with someone and noticed how much more they sweat or how little that other person sweats. So in that case, they need to drink different amounts. The person who, who sweats more needs to drink more and the person who, who sweats less doesn't need to drink as much. So firstly, don't lock yourself into a set volume of fluid. Most importantly, because the weather conditions you're going to um, experience at dwelling up, it, it, it may be cool, it may be cold, it may be mild, it may be warm. So whatever conditions that you do experience, you're going to alter the volume of fluid that you drink. And I can't really give you an answer on how much you need to drink, but it's going to be um, determined by the weather conditions that you're going to experience. It's going to be determined by the training that you've done previously and keeping a, a sort of a, an idea of how much I drank. You know, I did a three or four hour bike ride. I drank this much. My stomach felt good, but actually I, you know, I started to fade towards the end of that ride. So what I might do next time is if it's similar conditions, I'm going to drink a bit more and see if that makes a difference to, um, to how I feel. So that way you can take that information into your race. And if you can make as, as many mistakes in training and less in, in the race, you're going to be in a much better position. Um, and when you mention body salts, we, we, we talk about sodium. We lose obviously a lot more sodium when it's hotter. Uh, because we're losing a lot more sweat. And that's something that needs to be addressed as well, particularly for athletes that what we've found over the years of doing a lot of uh, applied research is that some athletes will have a much higher sodium concentration in their sweat than others. And when they identify that and increase the sodium that they consume, they don't have the cramping issues that they have had in the past. They just feel a lot better um, and they enjoy their running or riding a lot more as well because they're not feeling disheveled at the end of the ride and they're not feeling like crap, you know, two or three days after a big event. So um, it's, it's understanding those things and making those little changes in training that can make a big difference to, to the event day and, and your experience of that event day too. And, you know, when you when you get everything right and you get to the finish line and you still, you know, you feel like you've done everything correctly. It's, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mate. Now look, so as an athlete yourself, like in fact, not many people will know that you actually won a West Australian state elite mountain bike championship, you know, quite a few years ago. Um, in fact, if I remember correctly, it was up in Geraldton. Possibly, you know, that would have been a, a while back because there hasn't been a race in Geraldton for a long while. But, like, so as an owner of a sports nutrition company, as an elite athlete, if you were going into the Dwelling Up 100, right, and you were pre preparing for it, you've done all the training, you're lining up for the race, what would you sort of set yourself up for you know, as a guide for other elite athletes, what, what would you set yourself up for to be doing on the day? Yeah, okay. So my, my nutrition, um, I would just be using gels exclusively because um, you want to get that energy in fast 
and it's got to be something that uh, you don't you, you can't mess around with too much because there's only sometimes a small opportunity to get those calories in. So I'd be aiming for, um, for me, um, wanting to ride fairly solidly, sort of about every 40 minutes, I'd be taking a gel. Um, but can, can I just interrupt there for a sec? So yeah, mate. One, yeah. one of the hard things is, right, is, is actually getting the gel out of your pocket, getting the top off and taking the gel and getting all of the nutrition out of that satchel, right? So yes. Coda make, you guys make those neat little um, plastic bottles that take three gels in them. So that, that's a good way to do it as well. Yeah, actually, suggest. yeah, spot on. Actually, if you can get you can get four gels, which will go right up to the lid. Um, right. So, and and that's what I'd be using because it's just much easier to grab that than it is to tear a sachet, and then obviously less likely to drop the sachet onto the trail as well. Um, so I, I kind of aim for about 175 calories an hour, which is about a gel every 40 minutes. Right. Um, yeah. That would sort of be my strategy. Um, and because I've had my sodium concentration tested many, many times, and you only really need to do it once because it doesn't change. Uh, but mine's um, up around about the 1,700 to 1,800 milligrams um, for every litre of sweat I lose. So I, I have two and a half tablets in a 750 mil bottle. Right. Um, that doesn't replace all of my sodium, but it's replacing a heck of a lot more than your basic sports drinks does, uh, sports drinks do. Um, but interestingly, even though I have a, a high sodium concentration and I'm sort of around that sort of 88 to 90 kegs, um, I don't have a high sweat rate. So the volume of fluid I, I, I need to drink is not as much as what others are. Even, even athletes quite a lot smaller than me need to drink a lot more, um, because they have a higher sweat rate than I do. Um, so there's that myth about athletes who are quite big need to drink more because they sweat more. That's not actually the case. Um, I've worked with a lot of athletes over the years who, you know, around the 60 kilo mark and you know, they're not, not much of them, but they have very, very high sweat rates. So um, there's that misconception about if you're small, you do very well in the heat. That's actually not the case. Um, so right. um, from, a, from a fluid perspective, now, once again, if you're sort of getting around those 12, 13, 14 degrees, which I think dwelling up will probably be in the mornings. Is that what you would, would, would think? Well, look, being 18th of September, you know, it could be quite a cool start. Yeah. It could actually, uh, like, and I'm, I'm talking, it could even be under 10 degrees. Yeah. So in single digits, um, but it could well warm up to, you know, into the twenties. So realistically mid September is a bit of a guess we're, we always wanted in the spring, you know, that that was the sort of idea yep. um, to get those, you know, wildflowers and all that stuff out. But based on the winter we've had, look, we're due for a warm one based on the number of wet ones we've had. But it, realistically, it, it's anyone's guess. Yeah. So that that's a really good example of not locking yourself into a set volume of fluid. So in that case, let's say, you know, we start, it's around about that 9, 10 degrees. Um, my fluid intake would probably only be around about two to 300 mils an hour because I'm not sweating that much. It's not that, that hot. Um, but conversely, if it starts to warm up around, you know, the 50K mark, it's getting up around that sort of 19, 20 degrees. 
which it can do warm up pretty quick once that sun's up, um, I might start drinking up, upwards of five to 600 mils an hour. So I'll change yeah. the volume of fluid that I drink based on the temperatures at the time. Yeah. This is, this is where a lot of athletes get into a bit of strife <clears throat> and they'll have, um, you know, the, the, the most common thing is they'll have stomach issues because they're drinking a volume of fluid based on the fact that all their calories are in their drink. So if you're, you know, you, you have the understanding that, gee, I need calories because it's a long ride and I want to start early because if I don't start early and I'm going to miss that opportunity and I'm going to, you know, likely hit the wall around 80 Ks and that last 20 Ks is going to be a nightmare. So with these powdered sports drinks and these one size fits all that, you know, all you need is this two scoops of powder in water, you're locking yourself into a set volume of fluid. So um, if you're having to consume 600 or 750 mils an hour in those cooler conditions at the start, it's just going to compromise the stomach. It, it may not in the first couple of hours, but it will after a couple of hours and consuming an amount yeah. way beyond what you need. Yeah, right. Interesting. So that's, that's why we separate your calories and your hydration. They're two very different things. Yeah, excellent, mate. So look, change in, uh, change in tact slightly. Tell us, about, tell us about your wife, Steph. So not only have the event team, you know, who put on the Dwelling Up 100, presented 20 half Ironmans here in WA, but your wife, Steph's also done 20 of those half Ironmans as well, like, which is like a massive achievement. And there's a number of other people up around that limit as well. But um, right at the moment, she's just recovering from surgery on her wrist. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, actually, when we met, she couldn't swim 50 metres of the pool. So <laughs> for, for her to do 20 half Ironmans in a row down in Bustledon was pretty impressive. Um, but uh, we, we're living in West, uh, sorry, living in Hobart now, uh, we are heavily into our mountain biking, um, more enduro um, mountain biking. And uh, we head up to Derby, which is about a three and a half hour drive from Hobart in the... Uh, northeast of Hobart, uh, northeast of Tasmania. And there's a, there's a trail called Air Yagan. And it's a, if, if anyone's been there, they'll, they'll know how good this trail is. But uh, yeah, Steph had a little stack and broke her wrist. And she's had, this, had surgery on her wrist and she's um, in a cast now, um, <laughs> just uh, repairing and hoping that she gets back on the bike soon. I think the only reason that she had the surgery in WA is so she didn't have to drive back across the Nullarbor with you, mate. She gets to fly back over. Yeah, mate. I'm going to start that solo tomorrow. So um, hopefully, uh, COVID permitting, I get a nice clean run to the Spirit of Tassie and I'm back in Hobart on uh, early Thursday morning. Um, mate, look, and just, just finally, another thing some other people may not know about you is that you're actually a published uh, author. So the book is called uh, Sweat think go faster like i've read it it's it's fantastic actually it feels really like you've just been sitting here talking to me that's how like natural the book is to read but what inspired you to write that book and tell us a little bit more about it well well a lot of stuff that i've learned um, through applied research it's actually not taught in uni so you get sports dietitians you get exercise physiologists that really um are surprised at once we sit down and we talk about these things that why they didn't learn these things. 
And it, it was all in my head and I needed to get it down on paper. Um, and I thought, well, you know, a book makes the most sense. Um, and that, that was it. It's, it's, a, it's a common sense approach to, to sports nutrition. Um, trying to just explain things simply um, without too much sciencey stuff behind it, because I think it gets it all a bit too complicated. Um, and it's really not. It, it's, it's, I think what most people take away from reading the book is they have an understanding after reading it that they have a unique physiological makeup and that um, you know, there's 7 billion of us on the planet, but not one of us are the same. We all have a uniqueness and we're all very special in our own way. And we need to have that understanding when we're planning a nutrition strategy. Um, and that nutrition strategy, particularly the hydration component, is going to change based on the, on the conditions that you're experiencing at the time. So when you have that understanding and you put those things into play um, and not rely on what someone else is doing and, oh, well, I do this and it works fantastically. You try it, but it doesn't work for you. And you think, well, what's wrong with me? Well, there's, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with you. It's the fact that you don't need to drink as much or you need to drink more. Or you need to add more sodium to your drink or not as much. Or you need to have more calories simply because you don't have the internal um, storage that someone else does. Or you don't need to take as many calories because the glycogen storage in your muscles is phenomenal. Um, there's, everyone has this special uniqueness about them. Um, so that... You know, my, my wife thinks I'm pretty special, but I'm not sure that's in a good way. <laughs> hey, probably, um, probably a different way, mate, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Daz, look, is there anything else, like, just before we finish up, is anything that we haven't really covered that you think you could put across or that uh, people should know? Um, I think, yeah, I, I think it's important that um, understanding that the quality of the product is super important when you know you whether it's dropping a whole heap of money on a bike or your running shoes or spending a lot of money on physio or massage and all this money that you put into the sport that you do that it's really important that you look at the products that you're using make sure they are the quality product that you're spending the money on because um sports nutrition sadly is not regulated and there's a lot of, it, it's dominated by marketing companies and um when you when you think about the characteristics that i spoke about earlier particularly with the energy gels when we talk about energy to volume ratio thermic effect low sensory impact all those things were integral in um, putting these formulations together and making sure that we use the very best ingredients making sure that those ingredients were less the least likely to upset the stomach, but most importantly, benefit the athlete. Um, I, I think it's just important just taking that away um, that if you do use a CODA product, that there's been a huge amount of thought uh, put into the formulations. Mate, that's excellent. So I'd like to thank you. It's been absolutely enlightening. Like, chatting to you about this and getting a little bit of the science behind it, but also very understandable. And um, mate, thank you so much for supporting our event, you know, for every year that it's been on. We really appreciate it and we absolutely love your product. Thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, good luck with the event. Hopefully I can get over for it.
Well, look, I, I don't know if you should, mate, because if you come back over, there'll be a lot of people worried about you giving them an ass with them. <laughs> I don't know about that, mate. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Daz. Thanks, mate. All the best.